Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wounded Blue Hour. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, retired police lieutenant, founder of the Wounded Blue, the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers and the author of the soon-to-be-released, yeah, Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. Uh, on this show, we talk about everything that's involving the health and the safety of law enforcement officers. And when I talk about health, I'm talking about the mental health, the emotional health, the spiritual health of those who serve in this nation's police departments and law enforcement agencies. And I've got a great guest waiting for us, but before we bring him in, I wanna give you what I call our um, reality check. And on this reality check, we talk about the violence and the toll of the violence um, that it is taking of the American law enforcement officer. Uh, as of May 1st, we don't have the latest, but I soon will have the updated um, statistical information. Uh, 135 police officers shot in the line of duty. That's uh, a, a staggering number. And that s says basically, Almost every single day, a police officer is being shot. And uh, during this reality check, I also um, perform what we call the end of watch. And I give you the information about the officers who made the ultimate sacrifice and gave their lives in the line of duty in the last week. So I'm going to begin with Sergeant Michael Kunovich of the St. John's County Sheriff's Office in Florida. Sergeant Michael Kunovich suffered a fatal heart attack following a violent struggle with a man in the 2500 block of State Road 16 in St. Augustine. The man was sitting in the dark outside of a closed business when Sergeant Kunovich approached him at about 9 p.m. When Sergeant Kunovich attempted to pat the man down for weapons, the subject attempted to flee. Sergeant Kunovich and other deputies struggled with the subject for over six minutes during which the man attempted to disarm him of his taser. After the man was placed in handcuffs, he was able to access a pocket knife, which had to be forcibly removed from his hands. Sergeant Kunovich collapsed moments after the man was put in custody. The man was charged with resisting with violence and felony murder. Sergeant Kunovich has served the St. John's County Sheriff's Office for 25 years. Sergeant Michael Kunovich, St. John's County Sheriff's Office, Florida. End of watch, Friday, May 19th, 2023. Deputy Sheriff Brett Harris of the Riverside County Sheriff's Department in California. Deputy Sheriff Brett Harris succumbed to injuries sustained in a vehicle accident at the intersection of West Esplanade Avenue and South State Street at 2.15 a.m. Deputy Harris was driving west, responding to a call for service when his patrol SUV collided with another vehicle traveling north. His vehicle struck was struck on the driver's side and then left the roadway and hit a light pole. Another deputy was injured while trying to help free Deputy Harris from the vehicle. He was transported to local hospital where he was kept on life support until his organs could be donated. Deputy Harris was assigned to the Hemet section. He is survived by his wife, parents, twin sister, and brother. Deputy Sheriff Brett Harris, Riverside County Sheriff's, California, end of watch Saturday, May 13th. 2023. Deputy Sheriff Caleb Conley, 
Scott County Sheriff's Office, Kentucky. Deputy Sheriff Caleb Conley was shot and killed while conducting a traffic stop near mile marker 127 in Georgetown at about 4.45 p.m. The subject fled the scene but was arrested a short time later. He has been charged with murder of a police officer, possession of a handgun by a convicted felon, burglary, theft of an automobile, wanton endangerment, and fleeing police. Deputy Conley was a U.S. Army veteran, has served with the Scott County Sheriff's Office for four years. He is survived by his wife and children. Deputy Sheriff Caleb Conley, Scott County Sheriff's Office, Kentucky. End of watch Monday, May 22, 2023. Port Police Officer Kimberly Sikafus, Alabama Port Authority Police, Alabama. Port Police Officer Kimberly Sikafus drowned after her patrol truck drove into the Mobile River on, at the State Docks Boulevard while she was on patrol at 2.40 a.m. The, the truck sank into approximately 40 feet of water. Officer Sikafus's body was recovered about 8 a.m. Officer Sikafus has served the Alabama Port Authority Police for seven years, had previously served as police chief of the Silver Hill Police Department. Port Police Officer Kimberly Sikafus, Alabama Port Authority Police, Alabama, end of watch Thursday, May 11th, 2023. And Sergeant Joshua Lee Klaus, Cameron Police Department in Texas. Sergeant Josh Klaus was shot and killed by a subject in the 500 block of East 7th Street as he and other officers executed a search warrant. The subject inside of the home was wanted for shooting his wife during a domestic violence incident earlier in the night. The wounded woman was able to walk to a neighbor's home and call the police. Responding officers secured the subject's residence and obtained a search warrant to take him into custody. As officers with the Cameron Police Department and several neighboring agencies attempted to execute the warrant, the man opened fire, fatally wounding Sergeant Klaus. Other officers returned fire and killed the subject. Sergeant Klaus is a U.S. Army veteran, previously served with the Malam County Sheriff's Department. He is survived by his wife and two children. Sergeant Joshua Lee Klaus, Cameron Police Department, Texas. End of watch Thursday, May 11th, 2023. Each of these officers gave their lives serving their communities, dying in the line of duty, and honoring their profession. May they rest in peace. So I'm going to bring in our guest, and it's with um, special gratitude that I welcome him uh, because of his incredible contributions to the law enforcement community. His name is Aaron Slater. He's a retired police lieutenant from Texas, and he's the founder of an incredible company called Relentless Defender. Some of you may be wearing his shirts right now. You can see the shirt that I am wearing. It says, Never Forgotten, Never Alone, and it is the wounded blue shirt that he created, and he operates an incredible business. Welcome to the Wounded Blue Hour, uh, Aaron Slater. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Randy. So we just spent some time together briefly in Washington, D.C. It was National Police Week. And I, just, I can't help but think it's a little poignant that having just returned from National Police Week where um, an, uh, an incredible number of names were unveiled at the National Memorial for Law Enforcement, I read off a whole slew of other police officers who even since police week began 
gave their lives in the line of duty. You, you were there the entire time. Um, before we get into your history, what do you think what was your biggest takeaway from National Police Week this year? I've been going to, to Police Week uh, in D.C. since uh, 2016, and I've actively participated and grown my participation with with uh, National Police Week ever since. Um, this was the largest Police Week we've ever had, uh, unfortunately. And uh, I can tell you, uh, this Police Week, uh, not unlike, but this Police Week, it had a lot, a lot of love, a lot of bonding, a lot of care, a lot of concern. And, and I, I think it, people have never experienced Police Week from any perspective, whether it be a survivor or a police officer. Uh, if this is your very first time to experience it, you experienced an awesome Police Week. You know, there, there are people that are listening to this on radio and, and watching this on several of the platforms. P probably some of them didn't even know that Police Week existed. It's something that is very near and dear to law enforcement officers who probably every single one of them knows what Police Week is. But for the listeners and the viewers who don't know, can you describe Police Week and, and give a little bit of its history? Yeah, so, um, and, and, and to, to be honest with you, I have to admit that uh, even all the years I was a police officer, and I, I'm down here in Houston area, uh, Police Week in the national level wasn't uh, something that we discussed a whole lot of. What we understood it to be was it was National Police Appreciation Week, and that's something completely different. Um, and, and you would get cakes, and you'd get appreciation from the community, and people would, you know, send in food and that type of stuff. Uh, and there is an aspect to that that is appreciated by far, but National Police Week really is all about memorializing and remembering the sacrifices of the police officers that have died in the line of duty. The, um, the <clears throat> I also have the, the privilege of sitting on the board of the National Law Enforcement Memorial Fund, and I've been doing that for uh, two and a half, going on three years now. And, and that gave me an entire new appreciation for what uh, Police Week was and is and what we do to memorialize police officers during Police Week. Yeah, the history of it is, is uh, it, it, it was established, um, uh, and I want to say by President Kennedy and, and, and then um, ultimately uh, the memorial wall in D.C. Uh, is what Police Week surrounds and uh, that's where all of the fallen officers' names are engraved uh, onto the wall uh, for eternity. The interesting thing about the wall is it is the only national monument that uh, will continue and always, unfortunately, will continue to grow uh, in the names being placed onto that wall. But uh, families of the fallen, uh, partners of the fallen, agencies of the fallen, they all emerge on Washington DC and you're talking about 40,000 plus people that take over Washington DC uh, and ultimately um, mourn, not only mourn but, but, but show 
camaraderie for each other and for their the hurt and 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 love for each other, uh, so that that uh, we can make sure that we take on that responsibility to never forget uh, who those officers were that sacrificed everything. Well, well put. That's that's very well put. And you know, while we were there this year, um, the one of the the ceremonies there there are several ceremonies that take place throughout the week, and these are put on by the National Law Enforcement Memorial Fund and also by Concerns of Police Survivors, another incredible organization that you are uh, heavily involved with. And um, the planning that goes into the, 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 and the, the scope of these events is, is pretty amazing. I think that one of the most, um, I think, emotional events that, that I that I played uh, a, a role in, in that I was in the in the crowd, watching, and kind of reporting on to my social media platform, was the candlelight vigil, and I, mm -hmm. I, I'm trying I'm going to try and describe this to the viewers and the and the listeners. Imagine, if you will, a vast crowd of uniformed police officers and their families, mostly dressed in their dress uniforms about 30,000, 30 to 40,000 of them gathered around a stage that is beautifully lit in, in the blue uh, colors representing law enforcement. While the names are being read of every single officer who died in the line of duty last year and music being played, candles being lit and um, held aloft by this vast sea of people, I, I I'm not sure that that anything that else that I saw could match that moment, and I I know you were there too. What, what how did you feel seeing that? So, <clears throat> interestingly, um, for the last three years, I've had the honor of being on the stage and reading the names. And prior to that, I've actually been a part of the the participants in the the, the, the the candlelight vigil itself out in the National Mall. And they're both so surreal. Um, I can tell you that that when you're in the in the crowd of tens of thousands of people that are holding candles, and you you, you feel the emotions, and you see the emotions, and and, and you're amongst the emotions, um, it is it's it's an amazing amazing thing to see and be a part of. Being on stage, uh, and I've had the privilege of calling names uh, for the last three years, being on stage to look out and see the, every single eye focused on the stage uh, with, with, with tears rolling from their eyes, with them holding their, their children in their laps or holding them in their arms with their, the, 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 the child's head buried uh, in, into their, their mother's uh, chest or their you know, shoulder. It, it is literally uh, something that you won't forget, not because what you saw, but more so what you feel from that. And it is a feeling. There is a feeling that you get from uh, being a part of that. I was, this, this is not my first, you know, time attending this, uh, this ceremony. Over the years, I've been to National Police Week probably 15 times 
from the time when I was uh, when I was the assistant commander of the Las Vegas Police Honor Guard. Uh, we we came here almost every single year, and you know it it seems that there's a certain continuity that that never changes, and that is the respect and the honor that accompanies everything during this week. I mean, you know, the the number the vast number of cops that showed up this year, I found heartening. Um, that so many took the time to come out. You know, I'd have to say that most of the officers that were there probably came out on their own dime. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, and, and, and that's very similar each year. Uh, one of the things that I always found that was amazing was uh, either they came out on their own dime or they took time to raise funds to be a part of, take for example, the Unity Tour. Um, to, to raise funds to be a part of that. Not only are they raising funds to be a part of that, those funds go directly to the different non nonprofits. For example, the Unity Tour goes directly into the Memorial Wall. So then not only did they take time to raise funds, they took time to ride the hundreds of miles to get there on a bicycle. And then uh, as far as their uh, food and hotel and travel, that's, that's all on their dime. So they're not just saving a little bit of money on the side from an extra job to go to be a participant. They are an active um, participant in the idea that they're, they're not just going there to watch and, and see, they're going there to actually help. And that is even a greater understanding of, of, of why they're there and, and you can take that and see a, that much more appreciation for each and every one of those guys that do that. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I wish that I was in shape enough to actually ride a bicycle the couple of hundred miles. I think they start in New Jersey and they ride all the way down to Washington, D.C. That's, a, I mean, that's a physical feat as well as, as you know, one that's very, very time consuming. And, um, and they're all wearing the, their, the same uniform, which is, which is v visually very stirring. And they end at the actual memorial wall itself. And for those of you that have never been there, the memorial wall bears the names carved in the granite of every single police officer, law enforcement officer, who ever gave their lives in the line of duty. And one of the things that's kind of interesting is, you know, now, you know, in modern history, we track the number of police officers who, who are getting killed um, you know, it's, it's, it's very well known, but in the past, that's not always the case. So names are being discovered that of, of law enforcement officers who died, you know, 75, 80 years ago that were never chronicled. And I think one of the important aspects of the law enforcement memorial is that it doesn't matter what, when, when that officer died. Once it's brought to the attention of the Memorial Fund, then the Memorial Fund goes through the, the process of adding that name on the list. How many, uh, so I know there was about 247 names that were put on the wall from line of duty deaths last year, but how many names were actually engraved? Do you remember? Yeah, it was 556. Uh, 556 were, were, were put on the wall this past year. Um, we actually called out 556 names as well on the stage. 
the uh, I will tell you that that there's approximately twenty three thousand names on the wall uh, as we sit here today. I, I so I, I, I want that number to to register in the heads of those who are listening and watching. That is a staggering number of law enforcement officers who who paid that ultimate sacrifice, and I think it's so important that. Um, that this that this wall exists because it represents something so much greater than just a, an individual officer who who made that sacrifice, but it shows the law enforcement um, community in an entirely different light when you consider the, that vast number of people who throughout the history of our nation have consistently put their lives on the line and as a result lost their lives. So I think the historical aspects of this and not just limiting it to the names that we know, you know, that, that happened last year, I think that's a that's a critical component of what the Memorial Fund's mission is. Do you agree? Absolutely. That, and, and I will tell you that, that we have an awesome staff um, in, the, uh, in, in the investigative side of it that takes each one of these names and they literally uh, do an entire investigation on uh, how the officer passed in the line of duty. And, it's a, and, and they work tirelessly to make sure that um, there is that every name on that wall uh, deserves to be there. That uh, that the investigation is is done in in a manner that uh, that every name that that is being put on that wall uh, is just as powerful and just as meaningful as the names next to it. The uh, uh, I can tell you, and I give hats off to that staff for doing that in the investigative side of, of the names committee. Oh, 100 um, percent. I, I want to recount one memory of this police week. Uh, to uh, to the to the audience. So when we're talking about the the uh, riders coming in from all over, I mean they represent police departments from all over the all over the country, and they all come riding in on the on the uh, the you know into the memorial uh, itself, and it seems like a never-ending supply of of of, uh, of officers, and they are surrounded by the families of the officers whose names are going to be put on that wall or of previous survivors whose names are already on the wall um, and and those and 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 thousands of other cops and they're being greeted with this incredible applause and and uh, the smiles on their faces having you know a, a, arrived after this journey so i was on i was i was on the on the background Watching as the as the riders were coming in, and there was a young, it was a family right next to me, and it was uh, they were clearly a survivor family because they were all wearing T-shirts that matched, and they had you know they had a name and an end of watch. It was you know clearly a, a family of of a, of a fallen officer, um, and there was a little child. I'm going to say maybe maybe a year and a half, two years old. And he was standing next to me, and he's waving a memorial flag, you know, a little handheld memorial flag as the riders are coming in. 
and it was cute as hell to see, right? And his mom is next to him, and suddenly I felt his arms go around my leg, and he was hugging my leg with one arm, and he was waving the flag with the other. And I looked down at him, and his mom turned to me, and she said, that's what he did with his dad. His name is now on the wall. Yes. The, the, Randy, the, uh, that'd make any one of us, and I've, and I've been a part of it, and I've seen it, and I've felt exactly that same way. And I can tell you that uh, we're both very hardened and, again, become very hardened in the line of work that we've done. But I can tell you this right now, that the the emotions that happen during police week, um, they're real, and and the things that we see, they're real, and they they obviously the emotion that you're expressing um, is what tens of thousands of people express during that week, and it's an amazing, amazing, amazing event uh, to, to to be a part of, um, more so than anything. We need each other during that week. Um, we need to be there for the child that grabbed your leg and let them know that we're here. And and in many ways, it may feel like the world's against us at times. And uh, the world may not necessarily let us feel that we care or they care about us, I should say. Uh, but the bottom line is, is um, we are here for each other. We're here for those families. We're here for those children. And uh, we will continue to be that. And uh, 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 I've been accused of using this word way too many times, but uh, uh, in everything that we, uh, to make sure that we hold that responsibility of remembering their names without apologies. And uh, I can tell you that, that uh, I've known you, Randy, for several years now, and uh, the emotions that you just expressed is a reason why you do what you do here and is a reason why you uh, created the nonprofit that you created is because it is ultimately um, sincere and it's ultimately about what you can do for others and even if it's just you know lend, lend a, a youngster hold on to your leg and and feel that what you don't know and what most people don't know that don't do the philanthropy side of things is you got just as much, if not more, of that than he did, and uh, and that's the reason why we keep doing it over and over and over and over again. We got to take a quick break, and then we'll be back in just a minute. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear-mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. 
You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made Cofix RX nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code OUTLOUD and get 20% off. We are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative think. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said... Keep your face always toward the sunshine, and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. One Nation Coffee. One Nation Coffee. Patriotic, uh, veteran-owned, very, very good coffee. I actually went down and visited their roasting facility and met with the folks down there, uh, John and his crew, and they are amazing people. The coffee is delicious. You order it online. They bring it right to your house. You can get the ground coffee. You can get beans. I like to grind my own. They've got uh, also got these, uh, you know, the, the containers that you put in your Kerrig or whatever that thing is called. So um, One Nation Coffee. Go to OneNationCoffee.com. Order your coffee, and uh, you'll get great coffee, and you'll be supporting uh, a patriotic company that supports the Wounded Blue. So uh, go to OneNationCoffee.com. you know that this show is dedicated to the health and the welfare of America's law enforcement officers. So um, if I talk about a product or a company, it's because they are dealing with police officers and helping them, helping their safety. So I want to tell you about OfficerPrivacy.com. This is an incredible company because they found a niche that I didn't even know existed until Pete James, the owner, who's a retired cop, um, well, I, I met him and he was telling me about, Randy, you know, are you aware that your information is all over the internet about where you live, what you own, your cars, everything? And I said, what do you, whoa, 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 what do you mean? He says, yeah, it's, it's so easy to find you that, that and it's, it, be, it, it is actually dangerous for our law enforcement officers. So he created a company because he's one of those tech guys and what his company does, it's it's all it's all everybody that works there is a cop or a former cop, and they actually go into the internet, and they find out where the databases are that have information about the officer, and they remove it. I came to find out that there were 36, 36 um, uh, sites that had information about where I lived, where the cars that I drove, or personal information about me. And I got to tell you, that's something that surprised the hell out of me. So I urge you, 
we all know that, that cops are getting doxxed all the time now. That's one of the that's one of the tools of the left. So go to officerprivacy.com. It's not expensive. They're dedicated to what they do. And it is, it's good for your peace of mind, for your family's safety, for your safety. Whether you're an active duty cop or, um, or have been a police officer, that information is there. You want to get rid of it. So go to officerprivacy.com. Uh, Pete James is the man over there, and they're doing great, great stuff. So the other thing I want to talk about is the Wounded Blue. The Wounded Blue is the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is a nationwide charity. They, it is not governmentally run, okay? This is all um, run by donation, private donation from companies that care about their police and private citizens that care about their cops. Um, we've helped more than 15,000 law enforcement officers in the last four years, which is an astounding number. We have a peer advocate support team. What is that? Well, I want you to think about this. When a police officer is injured or disabled in the line of duty, they feel abandoned, they feel alone. And that leads to very, very dark thoughts and even dark deeds. Our suicide rate is atrocious. So the men and women who make up the peer advocate support team of the Wounded Blue have all been injured themselves. They've all been shot or stabbed or beaten or run over. They've all come back from the abyss of, of, of a serious injury, whether that injury was physical or emotional and psychological. So they provide peer support so that the men and women who are being injured in the line of duty now or disabled in the line, line of duty know that they're not forgotten, know that they're not alone, know that they're people who care about them. Their work is amazing. They are true heroes, the peer advocate support team of the Wounded Blue. Support them. Go to thewoundedblue.org, hit that donate button, and do what you can to help these men and women. If you are a company and you want to support the, lawn, the, the Wounded Blue, please go to thewoundedblue.org and either send a contact with your, your information or contact me directly, randy at thewoundedblue.org. That's randy at thewoundedblue.org. Now, if you are a law enforcement officer or have been, we have an incredible conference coming up in September, the third annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. This is some of the most important training you will ever receive. In cases, it is life-saving, and it's very unique. It is, it is every aspect of surviving a law enforcement career, physically, tactically, emotionally, spiritually, fiscally, relationships. Some of the, some of the best instructors and, and uh, presenters in the country will be there. And it is literally um, life affirming and life changing. So I urge you, if you're a police officer, and uh, we urge you to bring your, your spouse as well, it's designed to, well, it's, it's designed so that you can, at the end of your career, retire with honor and, and with health. Um, I can't think of anything more important. So go to thewoundedblue.org, see who we are, see what we do, register right there. It's only 295 bucks, four days in Vegas. How bad can it be, right? So go to thewoundedblue.org, and uh, if you want to contact me directly, I'm Randy at thewoundedblue.org. Let's go ahead and bring Aaron Slater back in. 
Aaron, you know, so you're involved with, uh, with, with the, the Memorial Fund, and we talked, I think, um, um, at length about that. But you're also involved with another incredible organization called Concerns of Police Survivors. Um, and, and their role in National Police Week is just as vital. Let's talk about the, the, what Concerns of Police Survivors is. So uh, Concerns Police Survivors is comprised of board members from the local levels all the way to the national level that are all survivors. Um, in fact, you cannot be a board member of any level of the board without being a survivor and without having an understanding of what that means. Um, in fact, on the local level in the Houston chapter, my sister-in-law, who is my COO at the company, and my wife are both members of the board here. The, uh, what they do is, if you were to take the National Law Enforcement Moral Fund, and, 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 and I'll explain what they do better than anybody else in the world, is National Law Enforcement Moral Fund does the memorializing better than any other entity out there. Um, Concerns Police Survivors, uh, I think better than anybody in the entire world. They take law enforcement survivors, the, the families and the partners and the people that have 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 lost a loved one to the line of duty death, uh, they do it better than anybody and that's the healing. What they do is, is they heal uh, police officers, families, survivors of all sorts in many different aspects, many different ways. They have retreats uh, all over the nation. Um, they get, uh, again, something similar to, to what you do, Randy, but they do it with survivors and that's peer support uh, from other uh, survivors that have gone through similar things. Uh, like, for example, they're in their retreats, they'll do co-workers retreat where it's nothing but police officers that have lost a friend or, or partner in the line of duty. Then they'll do child retreats or uh, child survivors of children that have lost a parent in the an uh, LODD, and then, then they break it down to all these so that uh, imagine it as a small support group of like-minded, like life situations uh, where they can help each other and learn from each other and it just really kind of built an entire family of support but they do it better than any other entity that i have ever been a part of or ever seen so i i, I know that you're aware of this but i'd like my listeners and viewers to know this so when um when i came up with the concept for the wounded blue i based it uh on the model of concerns of police survivors and so when um, when I was developing the concept, I went to Concerns of Police Survivors and um, had a, a, a fantastic talk with uh, Diane, who is the executive director. And she is the one that gave me amazing support, lots of information, helped me gather the training for the for the peer team and its infancy. And so I consider Concerns of Police Survivors a sister organization to the Wounded Blue. We work very, very closely with them. Um, and I'm really proud of the relationship that, uh, that we have. Uh, but you said it really eloquently, and there's nobody that does it better than Concerns of Police Survivors. And they have they have grown over the years. They've been in a business for what what is it uh, about almost thirty years? Since nineteen eighty four, yes. 
Right. And it was started by a survivor, um, Susie Sawyer, who um, realized that, that there was a void left when an officer was killed and there was nobody to guide these families through and to, and to be there for them. And what a, uh, what a visionary she was. And, uh, and the, the organization has grown immensely since those days. And talk about some of the retreats that they have. Now, the, uh, and I spoke a little bit about it uh, just a little bit ago. And, and by the way, I think it's almost 40 years, if my math is right, uh, since 1984. You're, making, uh, me, you're making me feel very old. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I, I, I was born in 77, then I looked at him like, no, it couldn't be 30 years, or I would definitely be a lot younger. <laughs> but it's almost 40 years. And, and uh, but yeah, it, the, the retreats, a lot of them are held in Missouri uh, because that's where their headquarters is, uh, right off of the lakes of the Ozarks. Uh, but I've never attended any of, the, any of the retreats, so I can't speak directly to it, but I have talked to many, many, many people that have attended. Um, in fact, uh, again, uh, my wife lost her dad in the line of duty, and uh, and of course, her sister, who is my my sister-in-law, who also works here, uh, they plan on going to the to retreats. They do a lot of volunteering as well, but uh, ultimately, the retreats are uh, there's a lot of activities, a lot of outdoor activities. Uh, it's it's kind of just an escape. It's kind of one of these things that you you go and and, and let's let's take all the stresses and all sorts of things and just kind of put them to the side for a second. Enjoy the moment, enjoy the things that are going on. And what that does, it kind of breaks down the the barriers. And when you break down those barriers and, and you're doing team exercises with the people that you're with, you start building relationship and building trust with each other. And then once those start happening, it, it naturally, um, they start having discussions and the healing process starts to, to begin. Now, once the healing start process starts to begin, uh, that literally, is the beginning of a lifelong um, healing process with each other. And ultimately what I've seen in, in those is the ones that have become uh, and, and, and went through the healing process tend to heal even more when they start helping other people heal. Uh, other people that, that have gone through this and then uh, it's, it's just a, a cycle of, of goodness. It's a cycle of, of love and a cycle of, of healing between everybody. Um, but if, if you are a survivor, and, and I hear this a lot of times, they're like, well, you know what, I'm a survivor and I don't want to get involved. Uh, that just seems like it's, it, it, it's, it's too much for me or, or it, it may be something that um, I don't feel comfortable with. Try it. Try it. I, I have not yet met a survivor that has gone through a, a retreat or, 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 or any aspect of, of the COPS initiatives that have came out and said, I regretted it. In fact, every single one of them said, I wish I would have done that earlier. I wish I would have gotten more involved. I, uh, and, and, and it just builds on them from that point on. A hundred percent. You know, the, the, the reality is that um, going through the, the trauma of loss, um, it, it's, it's unfortunate that we, all of us in our lives are gonna go through the trauma of loss. Um, but it takes on a special significance when that loss is through, is through um, a line of duty death. And it's something that is, that is shareable with other people that have, made, that have had those experiences. 
And through sharing, the pain can be, well, it's never gone, but it can be mitigated. And, um, and it's amazing the friendships that, that can develop. And, um, and I mean, I, the, and one of the things that I th think is so incredible about the COPS organization is that once you're part of it, you're part of it for life. You can, That's right. I mean, there's, there's people coming to retreats that have been coming for 30 years. I'm, I'm stuck on that 30 year uh, mark, by the way, <laughs> I'm just not going to go, I'm just not going 40 years. Okay. So I'll take it. <laughs> so, all right. So I want to talk about you for, for, uh, for the remainder of our time though. Um, you've given so much to the law enforcement community. The, um, the, the, these two organizations, you know, who you, you've eventually become a board member of are just two of the avenues that you've been involved in helping cops uh, in literally for, for decades. So you did 22 years as a police officer in Texas. And, um, and then you left and you formed a company, a company called Relentless Defender. And uh, I, I've had the great honor of actually coming down, seeing your headquarters, seeing the amazing operation you do. And I have to say that, that my audience needs to go to your website, Relentless Defender. It's relentlessdefender.com, correct? It is. And see the quality of the stuff that you, that you produce. But I'd like you to tell the story about, about Relentless Defender because it is such an incredible story. Yeah, it's, it's 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 a few parts, but I'll I'll uh, just kind of get to the chase of what Relentless Defender is and why it, why it even exists today. The um, and uh, like I explained, I, I I was a lieutenant, so I did my career just outside of Houston here in a uh, in in a police department called Rosemary Police Department, and uh, I've worked everything from patrol to CID. I worked UC for four years. I was a UC sergeant for two years and I was a patrol sergeant and ultimately a lieutenant. And in my agency, we're only 80 man department. So in my agency, a lieutenant was a commander. We didn't have captains. It was lieutenant, then assistant chief in chief. And uh, so I was the commander over the patrol division. Um, and uh, during that time, uh, my chief, who I adored, and I thought he was an excellent leader, uh, uh, he, 35 years of being a police chief was too much, and, and he was deciding to retire, God bless him. So he decided to retire, which left a police chief opening, and the chief at the time, or the assistant chief at the time, sorry, uh, wanted to put in for it. And the problem with that was, we've all worked for him, uh, there's police leaders in this profession that have absolutely no business wearing bar stars and stripes. And unfortunately, that was the exact type of leader that he was. And uh, so, um, and I had no aspiration of becoming a police chief. I just wanted to lead people and do better things in law enforcement for the people that served under my command and serving them better than I could possibly ever imagine. And so when he had said that he wanted to become a police chief, I knew exactly where the department was gonna go. He was a, a Nolan Boyd type of, of leader, and um, it was one of those ones you just have to sit there and say, you know what, I've got to step up. So I, uh, I, I put in for police chief as well. Uh, he was put in for police chief. 
we opened up the doors. There was about five other people from the outside candidates that, that were put in from 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 Houston Police Department to other agencies all across this region. We went through the process, assessment centers, those types of things. And uh, ultimately, it came down to him and I, the, the, the assistant and I, and it went to a council vote, and he ended up winning the position. And uh, imagine that was on a Tuesday night at uh, during a council meeting. And the very next morning, I come to work, and I get called into his office, and he sits down, and he says, sit down. And I said, okay. And the very first words he says out of his mouth is, you're going to find you're going to need to find somewhere else to work. So I sat there for a second and uh, I said, why? And he said, well, I need people that are loyal to the department, not loyal to a person. Well, one of the things I, I didn't explain to you was um, when, when when I was going through leadership in my ranks, uh, I said I wanted to become the best leader I could possibly be for the people that I serve that work in my ranks. Uh, so I went and, and uh, I got a bachelor's degree in organizational leadership. And I went back and got a master's degree in leadership management. And I wanted to focus on applying a lot of those principles and actually being that. Well, one of the things that they talk about is people aren't loyal to an organization. They're loyal to people. And ultimately, um, I mean, think about it in this perspective. Uh, when was the last time you said, I'm going to quit the department? No, you're going to quit the people that you work for. You're going to quit the person that you directly understand that doesn't take care of you or doesn't mentor you, doesn't care about you. That's who you leave. So I, I replied immediately. I said, you know what, Chief? I said, you have absolutely no idea what leadership is about. I said, they are loyal to me. You're right. But I am loyal to the, the organization and the betterment of this organization. So if that's the case, they will be loyal to the organization as a whole. And so we went back and forth a, a little bit, and uh, it was a little bit volatile, and I uh, did not care because it was obvious that this was nothing to lose at this point. And uh, so uh, he, he, he said, I'm done talking. I'll go back to your office. I'll go back to my office. I sat down. And uh, within 30 minutes, uh, an email came out, and I had nine sergeants. Uh, all nine sergeants were no longer uh, reporting to me. Uh, they are reporting to him. I got stripped of all of my responsibility, including uh, the FTO, the SWAT team commander, everything that you could possibly imagine that I was in charge of got stripped. And uh, I literally had absolutely no um, purpose uh, for even being there every single day at that point. Uh, within three months, I was put under three different investigations and I've never been under a formal investigation in my career. Uh, and imagine that, uh, working six years narcotics. That should tell you something of how much, uh, uh, with the exception of use of forces, don't say, I'm talking about the, the, the investigations of something that had to do with any kind of integrity issues. The, um, but ultimately uh on the uh, third investigation i was terminated and uh, ultimately fought it and uh re returned with uh a instead of a termination it was overturned and it was a retirement essentially 
So from there, uh, I said, you know what? I am not ever going to put that much energy and time and love and care into an organization just so it could be stripped from me. So what did I do? I said, you know what? Let me start a training company. And what's interesting about that training company is I had started, while I was at Rosemary Police Department, I had started the social media, uh, at, and this was back in 2012 when I started the social media uh, for Rosenberg, and it became, within two years, the most followed police social media page in the United States. Um, I was given interviews with Time Magazine, with People, with Good Morning America, everything that you could possibly imagine. And the reason why it was different was because uh, one of the things that I learned was we have to treat law enforcement and a police department like a business. And people sit there and say, well, how? Well, understand this. As a business, as a business, how do we know that we are winning? What's well, profits? And it's making money. And that's how you know that you're winning. Well, I took that and I said, okay, well, what is our profits in law enforcement? And ultimately, if you take that profit scale and you, you just start going up on it, every single one of those people that start to fall in love with your organization is a profit. So when we sit there and start explaining that and, and building that culture within the organization and people start seeing, you know what, I do matter. Everything that I do every single day does matter. So, and they start seeing that this profit is growing uh, for the betterment and the apex of the organization itself, then you start building something that is different. Well, one of the things about social media that I wanted to do was when I first started it, and I was talking to other people because by far we were not the first, uh, when I was talking to other people that were doing it, they were saying, make it very professional. Make sure that your social media has, uh, unfortunately, what I call funeral pics, where you take these pictures of the officers in, in Class A's, and they're staying there with a stout face, and that's basically what we use as our funeral pic. Um, people see that every single day, and they see that on traffic stops. They see that every, everywhere we're going. And I said, I don't want to see that anymore. What I want to do is I want to display on social media the candidness of, of police officers, the, them smiling, having fun, uh, playing with each other, um, just enjoying uh, what, what life is about, making them human, showing what they're all about. And it blew up. And in fact, for about six months, six months after starting and doing it with that mission in mind, I was getting phone calls. Um, we were getting emails, and none of them were good. Uh, uh, they were usually from other police departments, other police officers. And what, what I was getting was, um, this is unprofessional. That you you know you shouldn't be doing this. In fact, uh, to, to that to that point, when I first started the, the social media, when I proposed it to the admin staff, which was four lieutenants and assistant chief and a chief, um, they were all against it. And when I, I turned to the, the the assistant chief, who was last to speak, I said, well, "What do you think about it?" And of course. In my, him and my relationship was not very good ever. He said, what well, makes me feel like uh, uh, the, the, the police farmers running around outside naked for everybody to see. And I paused for a second and I said, well, if you look good naked, who the fuck cares? <laughs> um, hey, uh, and so Aaron, that, we, we've only yeah. got a minute and a half left, so we're going to have to we're going to have to wrap it up, not unfortunately. Okay, but the, you, uh, so, but you, so all this, yeah, go ahead. All this, and, and uh, so it led me down to a, an understanding of uh, starting uh, a police apparel company uh, from all the social media pages that I created. And there's a whole lot more to it, but of course, we only have a minute and a half. But I can tell you the bottom line is it was a godsend. 
Yeah, I had, I had no business being in the, in, in the, the, this this business, this entrepreneurship of, of T-shirts and, and apparel, uh, but it is what it is, and it took me here. And I can tell you that uh, I have never turned back. And well, what we do is, I tell people, I don't want to in the apparel business. The apparel business just is what fueled me to be able to do the things that we do. That's that the, that, that's exactly right, and that's what that it, at the the takeaway from Aaron Slater, the takeaway from Relentless Defender is you use that medium, which which by the way you, you you're a you're a god in the in the police apparel company uh, throughout the nation, and and everyone oh, well, res, everyone respects the quality of your stuff. It's amazing your designs. You're one of the best designers I've ever seen. And but you use it to fuel your passions, which is helping others. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can't Absolutely. think of anything more important. And Aaron, so Aaron Slater, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join me here at the Wounded Blue Hour. Your contributions to the law enforcement community are legion, and uh, and I know that uh, you're touching the lives of. Of, of thousands of law enforcement officers and what an incredible legacy that is. Aaron Slater well, thank from Relentless Defender. Thank you for showing up, buddy. So before we hop off here, uh, once again, I want you to um, go to thewoundedblue.org. I want you to see what we do, see who we are, and see how you can help. Because what is written on this shirt, which by the way, Aaron Slater designed is never forgotten, never alone. And the men and women who have served and have been injured in the line of duty, either physically or emotionally, need to know that they are never forgotten and never alone. You can help. Go to thewoundedblue.org. That's it for this week, and uh, we'll see you again soon.